Neha, what's the tea? You mean the novelty? Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated to books. Not just the Western male-centric works from your high school lit class. We'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered opinions. Together, we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. After finishing Passing and the Vanishing Half, Neha and I had the biggest book hangover, and we realized we had so much more that we wanted to talk about. So here's our bonus episode. As soon as we got off our call from the last episode, we were just texting each other articles and just random things that we missed out on talking about that we wanted to talk about more. And then we were just like, you know what, let's just do another episode because I feel like these are all things that other people would be interested in too. Yeah. So we also watched the movie that Netflix came out with, I think a year, maybe it was a year ago now. So we'll get to that as well. Okay, so for this part, I wanted to go, Passing has a lot of events that happen that are pretty action-packed and drama-packed, and I wanted to go this time in chronological order, because I think the last time we had so much to talk about that we were a little all over the place, so let's just kind of go through the story. And the first thing I wanted to talk about, because we already talked a little bit about Claire and Irene's past in the last episode, was the big blowout scene with Belus when Claire is invited Irene to her place and Irene finds out for the first time that she's passing as white and that her husband doesn't know and he hates black people and he uses a lot of really horrible racial slurs uh, in that whole scene. And the next thing that happens really is that we get, because this was in the past, the way that the book is narrated. And the next thing we get is the letter um, that Irene has gotten from Claire and she doesn't really open it for a while. Maybe this is a good time to talk about it. We didn't talk the last time as much about the relationship between Irene and Claire. And I kind of wanted to explore that because I think there's a lot there. Yeah, I agree. Like I mentioned with my theme that I picked is I, I noticed a lot of superiority complex that Claire had over Irene in their initial encounters I don't know what it was about the writing just maybe this is just my interpretation of it but I just really got the vibe that Claire just immediately thought that she was better than Irene and Irene kind of clocked that as well and did make some snide comments about Claire's life in the in their first encounter and so I feel like their relationship it did start off kind of rocky which I guess was just foreshadowing the future. Yeah, and it's nice to read about, I mean, not nice because it's not an entirely positive relationship, but I liked reading about a female friendship and relationship and the complexity of it because I think a lot of times when it's presented, it can be presented as kind of like a mean girls clicky thing or it's just given a face value to women being friends but I liked the complexity in this case which is not every relationship but a lot of relationships have that kind of um, not this exact dynamic but 
multiple facets to them. Yeah, it's just generalizing here a little bit, but with a lot of female friendships, I think there's a lot of reading between the lines and just like certain actions or certain words might mean something else or hurt people in a different way. I mean, that's just kind of how we communicate. Nella Larson does a good job of kind of showing that reading between the lines situation between the two of them without outrightly saying what Irene or Claire's feelings were towards each other. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of under the surface and between the lines. What did you think about the sexual tension between Irene and Claire? Because I think it was there. I just don't know to what degree and then also how it influences their other relationships. Here's the thing. Now is the point where I may bring up the movie that we saw because when I read the book, I personally didn't clock any sexual tension between the two of them, but in the movie, I kind of did. Hmm, Interesting. I picked up on it. I think it was a lot more subtle in the book, but then, you know, kind of going back, the letter that Claire sends to Irene is written kind of like a love letter. Some of the wording she uses, she's like desire and just there were tones. The only way analogy that I can think of to explain the relationship is in Mean Girls when what's the strudel girl's name again? Her hair is Gretchen. Yeah. When, when, when Gretchen and Regina start fighting and Gretchen knows that Regina's being a bitch, but then Katie says something like Gretchen knows that being in the plastics is better than being out of the plastics. And she still secretly wants Regina's approval, even though she knows that Regina's not a good person. I feel like it's kind of the same with Irene and Claire where I I don't I think it's pretty clear to me at least that Irene doesn't think that Claire's a good person. She does not necessarily approve of what she's doing. But at the same time, I think she is trying really hard to have Claire like her, wants her to feel accepted and wants her to feel included and is like trying to make her happy in a way, which I feel like maybe is like a kind of like a crush situation, maybe. Yeah, I think it has to do with the obsession. Like, both of them are kind of obsessed with the other's lives. I guess obsession has to have some component of desire. Yeah, it's like an infatuation. Yeah. And, I mean, the more I think about Claire, the more I feel bad for her. Because I think, you know, we're presented with Irene's point of view. And it's a very specifically against, not against, but she's criticizing Claire's way of life. But, and she talks at one point about how Claire wants to have it both ways and she can't have it both ways. And if you think about it, it wasn't really Claire's fault. Like she, when she was a child, she was growing up with her parents or just her dad and her dad died. And then she was sent to live with her aunts who were white. And so she didn't really have a choice at that point. She was just raised by two white women. And she, I think, got married pretty young to this guy, Bellews. And it probably just snowballed into her that she got into the situation. So then when she can reconnect with her community and with Irene, I think Irene's very snobbish about that. And it kind of just felt bad about it because she never really had a choice. And now she has this opportunity to reconnect with the people that she knew previously and the people who look like her and people are kind of looking down on it. So it's interesting that you put it that way. Cause for me, it is, 
in a way Claire's fault because I feel like she always did have the choice to tell the truth to at least her husband or at least be open with her family. I mean, I don't don't really necessarily would understand the dynamic between how that would work, but be honest about wanting to be involved in the black community or trying to be proud of your race or proud of who you are. And I feel like she did at some point make the choice that she didn't want to do that. And that choice kind of led her into all of these things that ended up happening to her. So I don't really feel that bad for her. She does make a choice, but I think as a character, she's a very passive character. Like, she kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've read The House of Mirth, but the main character, Lily Bart, kind of similar. Because she is kind of passive in a lot of ways, and things happen to her. And it's made out to be very tragic, and in a way it is, but it is a consequence of what she did it's just that she didn't take control of the situation she was put in a situation where she should make a choice and she made the choice but it wasn't that she was active about anything i feel like like okay shakespeare right hamlet's like the famous inaction guy and macbeth is the other extreme and i feel like characters can sometimes be passive or active and i just feel like claire is a little bit more passive like things just happen to her and yes it was her choice and she has to be held accountable for her choices. But I don't know. Yeah, I, I do get what you're saying. Especially when I'm like putting Claire as a character and Stella as a character next to each other. I do think that Claire has a little bit more passiveness to her than Stella did. And she had a little bit less control over what was happening to her once she did kind of get back into the Black community. But with Stella, she was a little bit more stubborn into not wanting to be part of that community ever again. And she was the more extreme version. So I do I do get what you're saying. Right, because Stella made in The Vanishing Half makes the act of choice to kind of forget about or put aside her family to choose this other lifestyle. And Claire doesn't make that kind of a choice. Yeah, and I think the the timeline also plays a role in that. And then kind of what happens after that in passing is the whole montage of these, what is it, what are they called? Flapper parties of Brian, Irene, and Claire just kind of like going off and having fun. And the happy part of the book where everybody's Mm -hmm. just happy and having fun. But Um, it's the calm before the storm. Yeah, for sure. It's not like happy, happy. It's like the rager in the part of the movie where you know something bad can happen soon yeah and then the part towards the end just before that party where everything happens Irene asks Claire like does she know what she would do if someone find out finds out and she's like yes and then she's like oh I'd come here to Harlem of course but do you think that's what she would do because Claire is not making choices that would safeguard her chosen identity She's, like, actively going out in Harlem, like, spending her time with, like, the black socialite community and really just towing that line. Mm -hmm. So is she an instrument in what happens to her? How much of it is her fault? She does kind of mention it in that conversation that she has with Irene that the only thing that's holding her back is, is Marjorie, her daughter. But she doesn't seem very sorrowful in the idea of having to leave her daughter she just kind of said it matter of factly she was like yeah I'll just leave Marjorie and 
the husband and live here. And yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, she's in Switzerland. I feel like she doesn't have a care in the world at this point in the book that she would that she would do it. She would mm-hmm. if, if she got found out, she would just live her best life, honestly. Yeah, there was one reading I saw that implied that if she, that she already knew in her head that if some people found out that she would commit suicide. And I don't know if I completely agree with that. I think it's very vague in the book, like what she would do. Maybe those little hints just flew over my head, but I feel like she didn't want to kill herself. She wanted to live her life in Harlem and be surrounded by the people that she feels like she felt like she could connect with. But I think upon confrontation at the party where her husband finds out, she realizes that maybe it's not worth it. And she jumps. Yeah. So Britt Bennett, the author of The Vanishing Half, actually wrote an introduction to this book in one of the new editions. And I went back and read it. So she, I liked it. It's pretty quick to read. She talks specifically about the humor in the book. And she mentions how, you know, at the beginning with that scene with Bellew, they're all laughing. And like Irene laughs so much that she has to like rein it in and Claire kind of gives her a look. And this whole thing is just one big charade of passing as white, passing as someone else. And she talks a lot about how Claire is not a sad, strong kind of figure. And she says that what makes her so alive is that she is laughing and smiling in the face of the danger that she puts herself in. Cause the first thing that Irene notices about her is her smile and that, and she doesn't like the smile. She talks about how she'd think it's, it's too sensual or it's too, I guess, carefree. And that smile keeps cropping up in the book. So I don't know. I thought that was an interesting reading, but I didn't see, I understand what she's saying about the absurdity of race and these categories, but I didn't see humor in Claire. If I was to reread the book, I could maybe see what Brett Bennett was talking about. But in my initial interpretation of the first read, I don't think I saw it either. I feel like Claire's just like always, her character to me is that one person who's always drunk. Like she just wants to have fun. You know, so maybe there's some humor in that sense because she's a fun, carefree person. I didn't see a lot of like humor in her character from Nella Larson's writing. But I guess it is something that crops up in the book, too, because Irene and Brian are having this one conversation about she's talking to him about the boys and she's concerned about what they're being exposed to. And he says that sex is absurd or sex is a joke and he says something like if sex isn't a joke I don't know what is and I remember that line but I couldn't put a finger on what it implied is he talking about sex like is he projecting and just letting something slip about his feelings about his marriage that he's unhappy or is he talking more broadly about romantic relationships is he talking about sex as a category I took it as it's not that serious, maybe not like as bluntly as like a joke, like it's not funny. But 
on the other hand, when they talk about all the things that are happening in the news and he wants to tell his kids about it and Irene doesn't, it is serious. The whole book just kind of toes on the line of really, really serious issues being taken lightly. Like even passing in itself is something that's pretty serious, but Claire takes it very lightly. Yeah. And then same with the whole like Brian trying to talk to the kids about lynching and racism and and the, the sex comment as well. I feel like there's a lot of topics like that that are very serious issues that Irene is uncomfortable with, but everybody else seems to just kind of take lightly. Like gloss over it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and maybe that is what Britt Bennett was talking about when she mentioned the humor or the absurdity that comes up in the book. It's not exactly humor, but it's it's not humor in the way of ha-ha funny, but it's humor the way that sometimes, like, in life when things are so terrible, you just have to laugh, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, something like that where yeah. you almost have to do a 180 and go the other way of, like, this is so serious and it has so many implications that, like, how can we take it seriously? I get that. I feel like that makes me understand her comment a lot better. Do you want to talk about the movie now? Yeah. So we both watched the movie Passing with Tessa Thompson. And who's the actress that plays Claire? Uh, is it Ruth Nega? Yeah. So what did you think? I liked it, but I don't know that in my head I can separate it from the book. Like, to me, it just is a companion media form for the book. Maybe because I also read and watched them so close together. Well, I thought it was a really interesting and kind of humorous in the way that Britt Bennett might say that the that they made the movie black and white. Yes. Okay. So why don't we just talk about the stylistic choices? Because the black and white, I was like okay, this is an obvious parallel to black and white as races. Mm-hmm. But is that too obvious? I was like, because then you also, they missed out on a lot of potentially very pretty scenes and beautiful color. And, you know, in the book, Nella Larson writes really beautifully about light and seasons and all these mm-hmm. things that have a lot of color to them, um, or at least more dimension that you get when you have color. And then in the movie, they were like, nope. I get why they might have done it, because it's a hard choice to put an exact defined shade of a person that makes them black, makes them passing, or makes them white, you know? At first, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But why do they do that? Because they're missing out on, like, the whole point that the, like, of the movie, basically. But then also, I, in my head, I was like, this makes sense because it shouldn't really matter like, the colors that we're seeing of people's skin in the movie shouldn't matter. It's just the story that they want to tell. Yeah. I think the other cinematic choice that they made that I really noticed was how quiet the movie was. There wasn't a lot of music at all. There were just those jazz trills that were, like, in between scenes or transitions. And then the music at the the party. But other than that, it was quiet which I thought yeah. was an interesting choice. The silence makes you feel uneasy. Exactly. That's I think that was yeah. the reason why. I feel like they wanted to make people feel like slightly uncomfortable with. Right. And but that's I think not the it, feeling I got reading the book. 
the feeling I, think, I got reading of the book was like, oh my God, like edge of my seat, like palpable tension in my head would have put along with like big orchestral yeah. kind of sounds and music. Like a build up with like, yeah. music. When reading the book, there's obviously like a sense of impending doom. Like, you know, something's going to blow up and you don't know what it is. You Like you said, you're on the edge of your seat. I kind of like that they did no music in the movie they it did translate similarly where I was like a little bit uncomfortable and was kind of waiting for something to happen because I feel like I was waiting for the music I was waiting for something to change or for something to be introduced where it was kind of a similar feeling yeah I think they took because there is some parts and there's an undercurrent of that feeling of being uneasy when you're reading the book and I think they just chose to take that feeling and really magnify it yeah the other thing I thought in the book was that I thought the scales of Irene and Claire in the book I thought they were kind of equal and how individual they were and how much they like balanced each other but I felt like in the movie Irene is a little bit more of a reaction to Claire rather than her own person I felt like personality wise, I did see a lot of difference in Claire, especially in the movie. I quite disliked her in the movie, honestly. I feel like they were she was they did a really, really good job of portraying her as an unlikable character to me. In the first scene where they meet for the first time, I was immediately annoyed by her. <laughs> and I wasn't I didn't feel like that when I read the book. I actually quite liked Claire. Like I thought mm-hmm. she was a fun personality, but in the movie for some reason there was just something about her that just gave me the ick and I just didn't I didn't like it Mm. I didn't like her eyebrows the other thing that I noticed about the book or the movie sorry is that I I felt like there was a lot of foreshadowing like very obvious foreshadowing in the movie mainly maybe I thought that because we already knew what was going to happen at the end but there was a lot of things just falling from a window and breaking and that was a little bit on the nose for me because I didn't have anything like really foreshadowing the final fall from the balcony in the book. It did feel like a bit much to me because there was the flower pot that breaks and then there was like a pot of boiling milk or water that overflows and then obviously at the end the teacup at the party that she breaks and blames on Hugh and And then there was this whole thing of Brian and Irene staring up at this crack on the ceiling. And the crack first appears after Claire comes to the house and she talks to Brian. And then the next time the crack is bigger. And I was like, okay, like, I see what you're doing. (laughs) This is a device. (laughs) Um, I think it was also kind of giving me like 1990s horror film with the with especially the milk scene. I was like, what? Well, and speaking of horror, I think they made Irene very jumpy. Yeah, her vibe was kind of and Claire maybe wasn't jumpy enough. Like Claire was too smooth and collected and Irene was too concerned. I just felt like their characters in the book overlapped on those characteristics more. Yeah, in the movie, it seemed like Claire was on Molly the whole time. really happy really like moved a lot it was like kind of and very like la la like (laughs) yeah like diaphanous like a curtain yeah yeah I think I mean just what you were saying about the cues and the foreshadowing I think it would have been okay with me 
except for the fact that they also made everything explicit in dialogue. Like, I think a lot of the dialogue stayed true to the book, but there were some things that they changed. Like at the dance, Hugh and Irene's conversation, I think was a little bit different. Irene talks Mm -hmm. about why people come and she was pretty explicit about the attraction of something that's a little bit more exotic and different and that might repulse you. And I was like, okay, so you're just describing the theme of the book. And then later, Claire and Irene are sitting on the stoop of her building. And she tells Irene that she doesn't have the same morals as her. And I don't know. I just felt like everything was made very explicit unnecessarily. Because I did think the film did a fairly good job of symbolism and cinematic kind of tricks that give you that mood and that give you the themes without needing to then spell it out in words. Yeah, and I'm curious on why they made the decision to do that because I feel like Nella Larson's writing was so cryptic in the best way that it, it was she wasn't she was very good at saying things without saying things. And I could have done that in the movie as well, probably even easier because visually it's easier to express that than it would be in writing. Yeah. But they they just decided to just kind of say the dialogue of our interpretation of the book. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. the magic of the book is this ambiguity throughout. Did you get the same kind of ambiguous, you don't really know what happened feeling after watching the movie end scene? So watching the movie, I was really curious how they were going to do that. Because I was like, in the book, you can just omit to say things or use certain words, but how do you portray that visually? And I think they did a good job. The only thing that they changed really was John Bellew's, his proximity to the two of them. I think in the book, he's still on the other side of the room. And then in the movie, he is also entangled in that, the three of them by the window. This is a hot take. I'm the type of person that watches movies with subtitles. I just understand things better that way I do too. <laughs> so, so I there was so I probably wouldn't have noticed this if I didn't have the subtitles on but one of the policemen at the end says did John push her like Dr. Redfield said he did they didn't have that dialogue in the book if I'm not wrong yeah I don't think Maybe. anything the policemen have a couple lines and in the book I don't remember them saying much like they were talking but she doesn't specifically say what sentences they were saying I was confused by that because then it's made obvious that, okay, Irene's husband, Brian, is trying to blame John directly for pushing Claire out the window. But it's still still kept that line, death by misadventure, I'm inclined to believe, which makes it seem like, okay, it was just like a tragic accident. Yeah, I mean, it changes Brian's character, right? Because the whole book... He has no investment or involvement in Claire and John. I mean, he, Irene thinks that he's sleeping with Claire. Maybe he is. He probably isn't. But he doesn't really care other than how it affects his wife. And then by having them say that, it's like he's has some kind of stake in what's going on. Like, does he like Claire? Is he trying to protect her? Does he dislike white men? Which they really played up the scene with the father and sons about the lynching and they really go in depth I mean the book it's just one line but mm-hmm. there's a couple conversations in the movie about it and I wonder if they're trying to play up that aspect of his character that's not how I read it I read it as 
the movie made me feel like Irene pushed Claire hmm. more than the book did. Brian saying that to the policeman makes me think it was more to protect Claire. because yeah, because he, hmm. like I mean, he said, because Brian was like a lot closer to them, so he obviously, in my opinion, could see what had happened, and he purposely blamed John because he knew that Claire did it and was trying to protect Irene. Her. Yeah, sorry, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It made it a little bit. It seemed a little more like Irene did it in the movie than in the book. Also, because they changed the order of things. Like in the book, Irene, when John comes barging in, Irene goes up to Claire. Claire's already by the window. Irene goes to Claire and like puts her arm on her. In mm-hmm. the movie, Irene is the one at the window, and then Claire kind of slowly walks towards Irene. So maybe that was the choice they made to help preserve some of the ambiguity by saying like yeah. she's walking towards the window maybe she intended to f- jump out or fall to counter them being a little more explicit yeah well speaking about the ending I did end up doing a little bit of a deep dive like I mentioned on the alternate ending that we were talking about in the last part And honestly, I didn't get the answers that I was looking for. I was really Mm -hmm. hoping for like a solid, this is why we did this. This is why we made this choice kind of article. Didn't find anything like that. But I did do a bunch of reading. And the third edition is the one that they decided to omit the last paragraph, which was the death by misadventure, I'm inclined to believe paragraph. I saw a lot of comments about the reason why they decided to omit that paragraph was because the policeman saying that gives the audience a pretty solid answer that Irene and Brian and whoever else is involved is kind of off the hook that they've decided that, okay, it's was a tragic accident and that's the way mm-hmm. that we're believed how it ended And they made the decision to publish the other version of it to increase the ambiguity of the ending of then everything went dark. And so that things were more open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. I honestly like both endings. Yeah, me too. I kind of the first time I read it, I I wished they hadn't included the last line. I wish it had ended with and then when everything went dark. After we talked about it and the more I think about it, the more I really like that line because I feel Mm -hmm. like it has so many potential layers to it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think originally, obviously, as a reader, you you like to have these discussions and interpret things in different ways and talk about things. So the more that's left up to the audience, the better in some ways because you have more to talk about. But just them deciding to keep that paragraph in the first edition it does still pose a lot of questions. Like, it doesn't really give you an answer still. Yeah, it doesn't. Because why do they say centuries later? Yeah. What is the window? Windows of structure? Like, are they saying, like, let's go take a look through the window of, like, you know, the way you look through a window at someone else's life. It's kind of manicured for you in the same way that these women are passing as something and mm-hmm. I don't know there's so much there's so much there and I could just keep going on and on and I make know. less and less sense so I'll stop. <laughs> yeah. I think it might be my favorite last line of literature one of my favorites better than Gatsby everyone talks about Gatsby and we beat on ceaselessly against the currents whatever blah 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 
doesn't mean anything. It just sounds nice. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's definitely very powerful and elusive. That's a good word, elusive. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we could talk about this for hours and have, honestly, a whole podcast dedicated to passing Nella Larson and all the interpretations, adaptations, the movie, whatever. We'll stop here and come back for the next episode where we'll be talking about The Last White Man. Thanks for listening to The Novelty. We are your hosts, Neha and Trithi, and our music is created by Apurva Koti. We love to hear from you, so send us book recommendations, episode commentary, or even critical feedback. You can find us on Instagram at thenovelty.pod or email us at thenovelty.pod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy reading.